everybody. Today's guest is the one and only best-selling author, comedian, my coach, motivational speaker, Aiden Park. Mr. Park, how are you doing today? You. I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Me and you worked together back in 2014, I believe. Oh, yeah, at Aces in, in Riverside. Yes, yes. And I met uh, your wonderful husband, Michael. Yeah. Because he sat in the back and he would just critique, like you said. Oh, would he? <laughs> yeah. And then you have to go back there and be like, was that good? Was that good? Like, because I was hosting, he would sit back there and be like, he 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 did not he 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 did, he, he had his opinions. Yeah, that's what you were saying yeah. about in the book. Yeah, you, he he was not um he, he yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I keep talking about the book. Let me give it all. The name of the book is you say it. The art, art of being gay. I wanted to call it the art of being gay. Uh, <laughs> I wanted 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 to call it, but my editor was like you can't call it that. They're going to think you're turning the world gay and I'm like I stopped doing that a long time ago. They always cry after <laughs> you know, and I don't want to hear it. So I, so I named it Art of Being Yay, uh, which actually uh, worked to my benefit um, because yay is more broad. Uh, but, um, you know, Art of Being, uh, so I like to say it real fast, Art of Being Gay. <laughs> yeah. What made you, what made you want to write the book? What made you sit down and somebody say, you know what? Because I, I listened to it. It was, it was a great listen. I enjoyed it. I, because I, I met Michael and I could understand everything that you were going through yeah. because I, I had lost somebody to cancer as well. And it's not really, very, yeah. yeah. Um, where I, cause I could relate to you when I got uh, injured about looking for pills at 7am and going to the Walgreens and I could oh, really yeah. relate to that and you were buying them on credit cards and stuff. Yeah. Cause like, they, you know, you go, cause the opioid crisis, they don't have it. And so you, it's like the worst game of whammy ever. It's like, what made you sit down and be like, let me write a book. Let me. Um, well, <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, do you want the long version or the short version? <laughs> we have as much time as you want. Okay. I'll try to make this interesting and succinct. <laughs> oh, so, uh, my background is actually from the empowerment business world. Because uh, when I was um, 19, I mean, I grew up with very, like, you know, single mother, single grandmother, government housing. It was very, and so by the time I was 19, I was emotionally disturbed. I was homeless. I was HIV positive. Um, and I was undocumented. Uh, I became a U.S. citizen, uh, ultimately, but um, I was all those things. And um, I uh, ended up finding a mentor who said, all right, I will help you. I wanted to be a musical theater person at the time. And he said, I will, I will set you up with singing lessons if you go and train in empowerment. So I actually went and went to, you know, those workshops, like the Tony Robbins, where Tony Robbins trained is where I got my training. So like I became a master practitioner of NLP. I learned about businesses. I learned about like, I learned life skills from the empowerment world, if that makes any sense. Gotcha. But I didn't tell people back then because back then it was not normal. It was very weird. So I think I came into the comedy world and I found success pretty quickly because of the business training, not necessarily because I was like, I'm, I'm funny, but I'm not, I, I think I'm better at business than I am funny because it's some, you know, but, and so when Michael died, um, I became suicidal and I just wanted to die. And, um, that some, wasn't the first, that wasn't huh? the first, that wasn't the first time though, was it? It was the, what do you mean? Suicidal after he passed, weren't, after 19, weren't you contemplating it? I was, too? I was suicidal back then also, but I kind of overcame it, uh, overcame it. Like with those empowerment things, it's kind of feel like, um, they're, they're very driven about like who you can become who you are, how you can be different than yourself, right? So it can be a bit of an escape, right? Um, and so um, when Michael died, I hit up on it again, and I was like, I, I want to die. And uh, I realized I was really serious because uh, my mom called me, and she noticed the signs, and she said, you know, hey, you need to stay strong for me because uh, when your grandma died, I, I stayed for you. And I told her, 
I said, we should both kill ourselves then because we shouldn't, I don't want to be here. Um, <laughs> and you don't want to be here either. So why, why are we doing this? And so I knew I was serious and I realized that if I don't do something, I'll, I'm going to die. So I ended up um, thinking, okay, how can I become, how, how do I stay here? I, I don't want to stay here feeling this bad. So how can I find a way to be happy? And so what I ended up doing was I ended up applying all of those um, tools for tangible results, business results and stuff. And I applied it to the result of emotion rather than like the business or money or things, you know, or relationship or friendships. Like you could focus it in the direction of creating tangible results, like money, cars, things, goals, where I made my goal emotions. And so when I did that, um, people around me noticed and my mentor said, I should write a book. And so I said, what have I got to lose? So I wrote a book. Um, so that's how it, it happened. Is that what you're talking about? Those implements, is that where the whiteboard concept was coming into effect when you were writing, when you were listing down things on a whiteboard? Um, you, what, what you, that was before he died. Right. So I was, I was, oh, I, I'm I sorry. Yes. I had a whiteboard of, of things that Michael needed to do um, in order for him to uh, survive. Um, which then you have one that we're listing like emotions. Like you were, you were talking about how oh. if you, you, you know what I mean? You had like a, you had not a whiteboard or a, but you had a list of saying, okay, what, how am I going to feel happy? Well, I make like you were talking about your comedy career when somebody told you, Hey, you're not really that funny. Uh -huh. That kind of made you switch and be like, no, wait, I wasn't funny because what he was oh, looking for. Oh, and then you broke evidence. it. Right. Is that the concept that you're talking about? You were using in business, but then you transferred it towards right. your, your life. Right. So, so there's this part of your brain called the reticular activation system, which is really interesting. It picks up evidence for um, anything that you, you, your brain deems as relevant. So like, for instance, like, uh, you know, when you get a new car, um, what's your latest car? Uh, Toyota. Okay. So when uh, you got a Toyota, you do all of a sudden see Toyotas on the road, you know? Right. Right. Um, where it was filtered out before, but now it's relevant to you. So it comes through. Right. So, um, so similar to that, it's like, whatever beliefs you hold, you'll find evidence for that. Like I can be like, I'm ugly. And I can keep my telling myself I'm ugly and then I'll find all the evidence to prove that I am ugly. So like you could say I'm the most beautiful person, but I'll just be like, well, Bubba just wants me on his podcast. So of course he's going to say, I'll, I'll like reason whatever to make sure it fits my narrative. So it's important to pick your narrative. That's um, where you're, that's where Google came into play, right? Yeah. Because you talk about, <laughs> you talk about Google and yeah. um, three things that I found that you were talking about in the book. And you leaned on a lot of support or you looked for advice was either reality, dance moms, yeah. golden girls, yeah. uh, Judge Judy, yeah. right? Yeah. You did the Judge Judy thing to turn around your, you needed 150 people for a bring your show or something. No, actually it was The Apprentice. Oh, I, oh, oh I'm, yeah, so I'm sorry to say. <laughs> I don't know. Reality, I don't know if it's real. No, I'm not. I'm just saying reality. Yeah. I mean, if you yeah. want to talk about. Yeah. like they weren't based in like a book like you weren't like let's see what's on channel two and then we're like hmm that's a good idea and then you just applied it in your own right yeah so i learned how to learn i'll say that <laughs> so so uh i would i would watch a tv show like i mean i i love i mean i i'm so sorry i loved that show the apprentice because it really i learned a lot and and like nowadays it's not a popular opinion but i still watch the uk versions you know but like as a, as somebody in 2005 who was trying to like run businesses, I didn't have business training. I never went to college. I never went to you know grad school. So like I would just watch those people and see what they did, and then try to copy. So like there were episodes where they had to make like marketing for like the new toothpaste that they were trying to market. So then I just watched them and be like, okay, that person got fired for not making the brand big enough. So I better make the brand big enough. Oh, the call to action has to be multiple places. I see. Okay. So I would just kind of like copy and trial and error. Um, and especially I would try do that running comedy shows. Um, so. Because comedy's um, hard. I mean, if people, if, I mean, 
I've been in it now for 13 years. It's it's a one person show until you become famous on Netflix or uh, HBO. You know what I mean? And then you have a team with you. But until then, it's just you, you, you. You're promoting, you're selling, you're hosting, you're producing. Like it's all on you. You're writing, you're doing all of it. And people don't know that it, comedy is really hard for some people. Yeah. I think the business end of comedy, honestly, is what is what. If if I didn't under if I if I didn't have business if I didn't have business understand that's why I lead these business of comedy workshops for the comedy clubs because right. it's my passion because without the business knowledge I would not I would I'm lost complete lost because <laughs> it's there's no rhyme or reason like how do you quantify talent how do you you know like you you know who it's, do you book? It's like anybody else, like uh, Saturday Night Live goes out and just sends people out and they sit in the audience. You know what I mean? That, that's, a lot, that's how Chevy Chase was found. That's how uh, Eddie Murphy, that's how right. they found him. He, they were like, hey, you need to go see this guy. He's performing at such and such. I think that was also the 70s, though, because in <laughs> oh, the yeah. 70s, it was way less complicated. You had talent. You went out there. You did it. But nowadays, it's like... There's social media. There's so many TV shows. There is comedy festivals and laugh festivals and, and um, you know, uh, comedy clubs. And everybody wants to get into comedy clubs and everybody's using comedy. And how do you, how do you get around that? How do you find um, your footing within such a complicated market, you know? <laughs> it's, all about, it's all about networking for me. That's how I – it's just – I've known you how long now? Like, oh my God, it's been like wait, the nine years now, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's with Rocky, it's, right? It's and I ran that show there, uh, an open mic there, for three years or something like that. Oh my God, I remember so, driving down. Oh my God, it was like two hours, two and a half hours for a ten minute spot. I just, Dan, you're generous. Did I let you go long? Like yeah, ten? No, ten minute spot. <laughs> I'm just playing. Yeah. But it was, it, people don't, they want to be in it until they get in it. And they're like, Oh, wait a minute. I thought it was just get on stage and make people laugh type thing. And it's, it's Oh my God. It's so awful. <laughs> if, if, like making people laugh is just 10% of the job. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not about making people laugh. I don't think it's about making people laugh. I mean, you have to, you have to make people laugh as a very baseline. But if you make people laugh and you don't understand your real purpose, you'll screw yourself over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you, if you yeah. don't, I don't like the word niche or whatever, but if you no. don't, if you don't pick a lane and stay in it, yeah. because then it's, I, I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. It's Just hard to explain it. Like not enough. You can't do it. You can't, you no. can't make it that way. Yeah. Korea, right? Mm -hmm. You came here and you were how old again? I was nine. Nine years old. And then you, I think it was funny because I came from Hemet and it has a bunch of senior living housing. Yeah. And everybody there is living with their grandmother, but on the hush hush. Oh, really? Everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Everybody is because rent is like $500. You yeah. know what I mean? And they pay yeah. for your water, your gas. And so yeah. I thought that was funny when you're like, I have to stay in my grandmother's room and I have to be quiet. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, yeah. I couldn't imagine the hell. Like, what, when you were going to school too, and, and you got, when I was listening to your book, you were like, you were kind of ripped out of the closet. You weren't, you, when you made that joke, you said about, well, I was sucking your dad's. You made that yeah. joke, that comeback. Like, you weren't allowed just to come out. You were kind of ripped out back in the yeah, day. Yeah, because I'm so gay. Well, I'm not. Yeah, it's not. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Like, it's not like I blend. If I could blend in, I wouldn't be in this situation. I was well, not a good blender. He didn't follow the rules. <laughs> no, I'm not good at no, that. I'm too crazy. No, I, but then, but then you got, you got through school, which is hard enough. But then you got told, oh, congratulations. You got all these acceptance letters. You got all these. Um, things but you didn't have the one thing you needed the most right so right. how low was that like how like you bust your ass for all those years and yeah. did everything by the rule and then you were told oh you don't have that card i'm sorry you can't do this like how bad like 
But yeah, that was terrible because um, I think I think um, a running theme in my life, you, you know, like there's a thing like where, you know, we tend to experience a similar trauma over and over in our lives. And I'm trying to heal this and change this pattern. And one of those patterns is really doing my best to fit into a certain um, standard so as to get a result and then feeling like I feeling hopeless to get it like like I felt absolutely hopeless I felt like nothing I do matters because I'll always be in, ending up in a shitty situation um, and uh, I felt that way when Michael died um, I felt that way when I got HIV so like it's a similar pattern like no matter how hard I try no matter what I do it's not gonna net the results so it's a feeling of real powerlessness and hopelessness and um and uh it's it's a futility but you had to do something to be like no i'm not like you said in your book or that you didn't want to be if you wanted a different outlook you kind of almost broke it down like a vulcan like in star trek like how spock breaks down he doesn't have feelings he just has this is the end of the result that i want this is the result this is what I want to get to. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of, you kind of cut out all the bullshit and went right to what you wanted. See, you, okay. You didn't let so, anything stop you. Really. I mean, that's what I, I find impressive. I did do that. But here's where I, I actually um, would add. I think that um, that was thanks to like the empowerment training, right? But then I think what, 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 uh, that, what happened there was I almost used empowerment training as a tool for me to get away from my feelings. And I actually never really acknowledged it. So when, when Michael died, all of those feelings came back times 10 because, and I really needed to, I'm, I, I, I needed to be empathetic. I needed to be with my feelings and, and kind of work with it rather than put something on it, which I used kind of empowerment uh, training as a tool to, just cover it um because you know I, I did grow up in a lot of feeling like futility and like who was gonna be there to caretake for that right like my mom right. and my, my grandma like they grew up in futility like there's so much futility um and so you know at some point you you, you can't if you keep running from that feeling it's like you'll make decisions like I'm never going to feel feel futile in this situation. And so I'll leave this relationship before you leave me because then I don't want to feel that futility, right? Um, I won't go for big chances because if I do, then I can feel futile in losing that big chance. So like my fear of disappointment can drive my decision-making, which could ultimately not be in my best interest. So I, do you get what I'm saying? Oh, so I understand like, what you're saying. You're, you've, you've covered up with one, like the whole whiteboard with Michael. Instead of taking the cancer, like, okay, he's got cancer. And Michael is even saying to his friends, like, hey, you know, I want Aiden to be happy here. But yeah. you were, like, covering up with the whiteboard, like Vince Lombardi. Like, hey, right. we're, we're doing this. Yeah, we're, we're doing like, this. We're doing this. Let's fix right. it. Let's go. And um, if I have a regret about the way I handled Michael is uh, that. I wish that I had been softer and more caretaking in his final days and more loving to him rather than mushing him to try to create a result that wasn't ultimately going to happen you know but was that with that mushing and trying to force him was that the coping mechanism for you to not deal with okay he is gonna pass away yeah i couldn't handle it because i never before michael i would never had somebody who i felt like who knew me and loved me for who i was ever i felt like my mom wanted me to be straight and I couldn't be that for her. My, my grandmother wanted me to be a certain way and I couldn't be that for her. Um, the, I, I don't feel anybody in the world really saw me for who I was and loved me for who I was ever. Um, and uh, Michael did. And he really appreciated my nature. And so I felt while I was with him, like I was seen and, and heard and valuable and lovable and then he's gone. And so I felt like I'll never have that again. It's losing that is, um, I don't know what your experience was like. It's, it can be, I put a lot of, I put a lot on that relationship. It was very, you know, you know, 
it was it was it was short but it was it was filled with love but it was completely way shorter than what you had you had vision this and to be in a 20 30 40 year relationship you didn't know that you were going to turn around and it was going to be nobody prepared you for that well, I, I think if I say, if I, this sounds crazy, but I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit, I have like a little bit of weird psychic thing going on. I know. And because during the entire relationship, I knew he was going to die. I was like, you're going to die first and I'm going to be left behind and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I would constantly be thinking that. I don't know what drove that, but I always knew. I knew he was going to die and I was going to have to fend for myself uh, after his death here. A lot and, of women uh, say that in marriages. A lot of women, that's, if you ask married women, that's their number one fear. Yeah. I guess. It's rough. It's, uh, you know, I love that guy. Um, and uh, that was rough. It, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, be, that's, that part of the book, you made yourself found, sound like you were, finally living the best life that you had like you you got rid of the whole Cra craigslist label you got rid of i'm not selling everything in the book i'm just saying you know what i'm oh, saying yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, i'm just you seem Thank like you, you finally <laughs> no, <laughs> no you no you seem like that you were like okay thank god i i can now i can be aiden park yeah like you had no you didn't give two shits about hometown buffet or 99 cent store stuff like you were just happy being with him. Oh, I just, I don't care. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, look, I, I'm a weirdo. I'm a weirdo. Oh, I understand. I, yeah, you I don't have to be gay weirdo. to be a weirdo. weirdo. Like, you know? Yeah, I, I'm a total nerd. Like, there's the graceful. Or is that just your thing? See, I got really depressed. Oh, okay. I got on my own depression, and I was like, I bought one. And it was, it was right over here. It was the Sanford and Son. He's right over here with Jefferson's, but it was uh, Red Fox, and I had to buy it, and that's where it started. Wow! So now you have six hundred, yeah, six hundred and some odd later. Wow! My, yeah, so we're not. Well, you, you I think weird. It's a not... beautiful thing. I think. Uh, I oh love yeah, that unique. You, I, unique I think... is beautiful. I don't really. I'm very no frills, and that's another thing. There's another issue with like the whole comedy thing, like you know. I, to be a gay comic like look i don't fit the bill to be a gay com i mean look at like okay like i'm gay but i'm like also like come on i i'm going to marshall's i'm gonna eat at denny's and i'm gonna go do what i want i'm gonna like get into my dirty car and drive cross country if i feel like it so I'm quite okay. like i'm not like what hollywood might think of as a gay comic right so and i struggle with that because you have to fit into a certain box also which... oh i had a big I, I was never i i thought about suicide i'm not gonna lie to you but i didn't go out and google hey how much does a gun cost i want to put it on because you, were, you felt you were being treated differently and that's what hurt the you feel like you weren't seen as i you. felt like somebody already had written my story for me mm, okay okay so that's why I, that's honestly why i'm creating this podcast is yeah. to get people's stories out there. What they had to battle, the depression, the, they overcame something to become something better. Uh -huh. And that's exactly what you did. Like you didn't, you didn't give in to those thoughts that you had at 19. You saw a bigger picture than, I mean, what you have now, right? I mean, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't let those hold you back. You might've thought about, you know what, F this. I'm yep. done for right now, but everybody has those thoughts. It's what did you do beyond that? This yeah. is what I what I find fast. Like, wow, he sat down, he wrote a book, he put it all down on paper, and just was wide open about this. And that's what I find interesting and and commemorable about you. Like, thank you. Like I, I, I didn't mention the Modesto. Like I didn't ha, ha, like. Ha, ha. Did you? In your life, have you always reading your book? I came up with this question: Have you ever stopped bleeping or running? In your in and since you I got here, when you're what? running or leaping in your life, like have everything that you've done, you've seen like you've run into it, or you've leaped into it, or you've leaped out of it, or you ran away from it in every aspect. 
like you mean like um like it, you it, got into theater like you got uh -huh. into theater on a on a and you leaped into that yeah you oh, leaped oh, into coming like in. yeah you yeah it oh. wasn't like you just put one toe in or wasn't you always just dove in with both feet like has that always been your plan or your goal or has it just been that way Actually, um, I, I, uh, it's, it's once I decide I'm doing it, I'm dead to it. But okay. at first, I, with comedy, I started in 2012, and I did like one show a month. I was like, mm, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. I dabbled in it for actually two and a half years um, for like once a month, which is nothing, right? right. And uh, I was like, mm, and uh, I had maybe like 10 minutes. Uh, and so at, at some point I was like, I'm going all in. And then it became like five, six times a week. So I, I do tend to dabble. I tend to, um, I dabble, dabble, dabble. And then once I decide I am in, then I'm in, uh, and I leap in. So, when so I, it does take a little time, but once I make that decision, it's like, yeah, let's do it. Cause I feel like why, why, why? Why would you play it any other way? Like, right. <laughs> like you know. There's um, a point in your book that you get called, um, you two points that I kind of saw you were, I don't want to say this. You, it's kind of snapped you out of whatever you were in. The one time you were called a loser and the one time you were called, said you weren't funny. Uh -huh. It kind of like snapped you. Like you kind of, can you tell me what you were thinking then? Like the when you were doing paraphernalia uh -huh. with somebody in Modesto and they uh -huh. called you a loser. Uh -huh. Yeah. Right? And you were like Did he call that, me a loser? Yeah, you said they called you a loser and you kind of snapped out of it. Like you sat in your car and you oh. were like Oh, okay, so don't thank no, no, you. No, no, no. That thank was you. a different like, one. So you're getting okay. two drug stories mixed up. So in, in Modesto. Oh, I'm trying not to tell your whole book here. Oh, who cares? Wait, and, like I'm not they'll, they'll buy it. It's like the okay. you know. But I yeah, I just but you were told okay, I'm sorry, when one of your drug rants, oh. somebody called you a loser. Like he's oh. not far to test like to throw stones there, buddy. But I was just that one and you were told you weren't funny by the manager that were booking you. Right. And those were the two things that kind of stood out to me. Like you like snapped, like it just, you went to the, you went to the list. Okay. Well, I'm funny because I have a, people who think I'm funny. No, I'm well, not a, a loser because. A loser, right. Huh? So I was thinking about this. It was like, oh, a lot of people can think I'm a loser and a lot of people can think I'm not funny, but a lot of people think I'm really funny. And so I can't like, I can't. I just have to go for what I want to do. I can't, de de I can't depend on other people's opinions to base my career decisions on because they're so widely varied all over the place. Like there's people who think I'm the funniest thing ever. And there's people who are like, no, thank you, Aiden. And then there's people who think I'm, uh, I'm such a winner. And then there's people who are like, how could he possibly be like that? He should not be speaking ever. So like, I'm, so I realized like, like at some point it's kind of like okay well where do you want to put your eggs in that basket like well what what basket do you want to put your eggs in i think what do i think i think i'm funny i like my humor i think i'm i don't think i'm a loser so so it's kind of like but people also i have to give permission to think whatever they're going to feel <laughs> so you can think i'm not funny that's fine you don't book me i'll go there and then i started you know what i don't you know what i do appreciate about this like i do I don't like going where I'm not welcome. I used to work so hard to try to mold a bunch of ways. Like, remember when alt comedy was popular with like hipsters? Remember that? Like nowadays it's not, but like back when I was doing 2015, 2016, like Bubba, you have some energy on stage, right? I have some energy on stage. They did not like us. What they liked was these ironic comedians who stood up there in front of a microphone and they just breathed heavily, which I never thought was funny, but they hated me. And what I used to do was I was like, if I'm a good comedian, I could play any room. So I would make myself go to these like the altiest, the Silver Lake hipster. And I would be the only one with energy. And I was like, if I can get this audience, I'll get any audience. But I think about that and I'm like, no, I don't need to do that. I don't need to go where I'm not welcome. I'm not going to do that. So if you like me, you like me. You don't, you don't. I'll just go where I'm welcome. And I find that that's a huge key to success.
um, huge key to finding friends. Um, you know, people who think you're a loser or people who are critical. Like, there's people who celebrate you. So you just keep finding those guys and follow that thread. I think that's that's been a huge change for me. It's like, I can't count on that. It's like, I'm not, can't be relying and I can't change my perspective based on what other people's opinion is because they don't know my perspective. I don't think. I've always done now. See, I've always done like the whole crowd control or crowd work. And mm -hmm. uh, because back in at Rockies, there was like six, six people on the audience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it is you huge. had to break through to get them yeah. to even just <laughs> one of those. No. How did you get involved in doing like the seminars and the talks that you do? How did you, how did you get involved in that? Um, well, the book came out and then that oh, so that's a big, that was a big, yeah, the book came out that became a, a bestseller. And then they, they start asking me to do speeches and then the speeches turned into, um, they asked me to put together workshops, like week long workshops, like, uh, and it got extensive. Like I did like an eight day workshop for a special Olympics and um, uh, American cancer society or widows uh, or American foundation for suicide prevention, you know, things like that. Like, um, did that get too overwhelming for you at times? No, uh, I, you know, I, comedy is great. I love comedy, but really honestly, like the, the empowerment brain and emotional end of things is where I, I could spend all day, every day, just, it's just so endlessly fascinating for me. Um, now, have you been, have you been studying that since you were about nine years old? Like, have you was, been, when I got 19, yeah, like, yeah. or 19, yeah. like, yeah. did, I'm, what I was saying, it was like, did you have to figure out a different, it wasn't like a fight or flight with you. It was always trying to outsmart the person or was it, was it always trying to outthink them? to be to be the best version of you or how did um, you handle that i mean even at nine there was a lot of not knowing english not yeah. you know living with your grandmother those constraints yeah how did you like there had to be something else going in your mind like there's got to be a better way like yeah, yeah, yeah start back then um i think um well i mean i, I guess i was just surviving i mean you know, but I was always like a big kid, so no one really messed with me physically. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, it just had to be a different. I mean, at nine years old, and nobody's listening to you, or nobody like we, our generation didn't grow up on Adderall or Ritalin. Well, yeah, I, I have a lot of issues from that, like because like, it, I mean, I, I had to work through a lot of problems because, okay. Uh, you know, I'm in Korea and, uh, you know, I was a top, top student or whatever. And then I move here. I lose my mother. My mom's moves across the country. I can't speak. Um, I can't make friends. Uh, I feel totally alone. I don't understand what's going on in school. So everything that I felt valuable for disappeared. I can't make friends. I can't talk to people. I can't get good grades. My mom's gone. Uh, I ended up on an island. Right, almost, and, and it's a a. How do you cope with that? How do you, and then I get home, and then I'm left alone at home. So like, it was very isolating. It was very isolating experience, and for a nine year old to go through that is kind of like it'll. So, you know, ADHD. I think some ADHD is like a mental problem that that happens at from like a, a young age, like some you know you, you take pills for that and stuff. I think some of it is a developmental issue, um, you know, from anxiety. Because um, I'm trying to manage anxiety, right? Like, how do you manage all that anxiety? You're always alone. You don't know what's coming. Nobody understands you. You can't communicate. Like, there's a deep level of fear there for a nine-year-old. What do you do? It sounded like you turned into, you sound like you turned to the Golden Girls or you turned to television to buy, like, you said in your book that you ran home to watch Golden Girls. Yeah. Sense you were so, of normalcy and comfort, right? You were so obsessed with it, you put it on VHS, not yeah, knowing yeah, that yeah. it's still on to today. Like, I'm really glad to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time and sitting down and talking with me. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful. Um, I'm so glad we connected. And hopefully I can come to Oklahoma and, and say hi. <laughs> come back to LA. Say hi. I will.
Thank you.